scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was within in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on his west and I on his east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Today we'll be looking at these verses as our passage today. But before we get into that, let's pray. Father God Almighty, we come before you humble by your great name. Lord God, lift up our name so that we might be worthy to worship you. Wash us continuously, sanctifying us so that we may be able to worship you. May we come before you humbled, just as your, uh, your prophet Isaiah was humbled when he visited you in the temple. God, I ask, do not allow any hearts here today to be hardened, but softened to receive your grace and your mercy. God, I pray, help us seek your glory in every moment of our lives. God, I pray, grab our hands with your soft touch. And bring us closer to yourself. And Father, I pray personally that you silence my words. You silence my desires. Only allowing your word, your desire to be spoken. Only allowing your will to be done. And I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Being a reckless Christian for Christ means that you are called to abandon every comfort this world may offer and fearlessly step out to follow Jesus in whatever direction God desires. That's what we've been talking about for the several weeks now as we've discussed having a reckless obedience to God's will, a reckless love as God loves, and a reckless passion that burns within through God's strength and power. 
Today we'll be looking at what it looks like to be a reckless Christian for Christ in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, as we are challenged to recklessly run with scissors as followers of Christ. Our passage begins today with, Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram later having his name changed to Abraham, meaning the father of many. Here God speaks to Abram, uh, the, the soon-to-be father of many, and Abram listens. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult. One of the hardest things to do in life is to simply listen to God speak. I had a professor in my undergrad who said, you know, sometimes prayer, we just need to shut up in prayer and just allow the communication to happen. It's hard sometimes just to hear God speak. There are issues that surround all of us that clutter our ears, working as earplugs, not allowing the, the wonderful voice of God to enter into our souls and our hearts and our minds. Abram's no different. He was a human just like you and I. He has traveled about 600 miles from his homeland in earth to a heron where his father dies in Haran. And Abram is all of a sudden slammed into the position of head of the family with all the political and social issues that go along with, that, that are incorporated with being the head of the family in the ancient Near East, Middle East. There's pressure to keep peace with other families, other clans, making sure that there was enough food for the family. Protecting his family from unforeseen dangers and seen dangers. And providing wisdom in times of crisis. Basically, Abram became the three branches of our government as soon as his dad died. That's how their system worked. The father of the family was everything. So it's not too much to, uh, of a stretch of imagination to say that Abram's ear was constantly being pulled in many different directions. But in the midst of all that noise, God spoke and Abram listened. I'm about to ask a question that has massive, ginormous implications for you and your relationship with God. In being a reckless Christian, how often do you hear God speak to you? Do you turn your ear to Jesus in order to listen to him when he speaks to you? Are you allowing yourself to listen to the soft voice of the Holy Spirit speak into your life? And myself included, say, there's times where I just don't hear God speak. That's because we talk too much. Just don't stop and listen. Abram could have allowed all the clutters of his life to deter him from God's voice, but Abram heard God speak. And he listened. And God didn't speak nothingness into his life. It, he spoke words of life. I don't believe God speaks nonsense into anybody's life. If God is speaking to you, there is a very important reason why God is speaking to you. He's using those words. 
Maybe not a promise such as what Abram received. But nowhere in Scripture does God fervently speak. When Jesus spoke, he spoke for a reason and a purpose. Throughout the Old Testament, when God spoke through the prophets, there was a reason and a purpose. I mean, remember when God spoke for the first time in Scripture, light came into existence. God speaks with purpose and power. Are we willing to listen? In Genesis 12, God speaks words of life for Abram by way of a blessing. God tells Abram that he will be blessed with land and family and a great name. But this blessing is conditional. Abram must leave all that he knows behind and follow God's guidance. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? This sounds just like when Jesus walked up to Peter and the others and said, while they were fishing, and just said, follow me. And they laid it all down. Their entire livelihood, they laid it down and followed. When Jesus approached Levi, the tax collector, and told him to follow me, Levi dropped everything and just followed Jesus. God places these blessings before Abram, but on the condition that Abram follow God. And this was no small task God is asking of Abram. Abram didn't just graduate high school or college and have no, no one depending on him. As we mentioned before, Abram has the massive weight of his entire family on his shoulders. And God is asking Abram to throw that, that burden off his shoulders and onto God's shoulders so that he might be able to follow him. But can you imagine the amount of faith Abram had to have in God to be able to do this. Abram must decide whether to walk away from his home in Haran in favor of the land God offers. All of the stuff that he was used to. All of the rest of his family except for him, his wife, and his nephew, for the family that God promises, even against all logic, because Sarai was infertile. Abram must decide whether to walk away from his inheritance from Terah, his father, in order to gain the inheritance God describes. The blessing God offers much, but its price is also substantial. In the blessing, God offers a great land and family to Aaron. I will make you a great nation. You can't have a great nation without having a great family or a great land. God tells Abram in 15.5 that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And then in 15.7, God tells Abram the land that his descendants will possess. The interesting aspect of this blessing of land is that up to this moment, the scripture, uh, the, the, uh, in Scripture, the relationship between humanity and land has been centered on the people being driven out of the land and wandering. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of Eden to work the ground. Uh, Cain was driven further out when he was murdered Abel. Even with Noah in the flood, the, the land was destroyed. 
Humanity was destroyed from the land. And with the Tower of Babel, God scattered the people around all over the face of the earth. But here in chapter 12, God promises Abram that his descendants will settle in this land, not be scattered. God then offers Abram a great name. This is also very intriguing because a great name is exactly what those guys, women and children, all that kind of stuff in the Tower of Babel, that's what they were desiring. We talked about Tower of Babel last week. In Genesis eleven fourteen, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. They were wanting to become like God. And let us make for ourselves a name. And as I just mentioned, one aspect, they wanted to reach God, become gods. And the other aspect is, what, is that they wanted to create for themselves a name to be forever known. But here in God's promise of chapter 12, if Abram does what God desires God is the one who's going to create the name that will forever be known. These blessings are great. And it seems like a no-brainer for us. But we must realize that if Abram agrees to these terms, he is not only walking away from his home and family, more importantly, he is also walking away from any other deity that he may have been associated with. You see, in the, the, the ancient times, they, wherever you went, whatever city you went in, you gave praise and worship to the, the God of that city. And whenever you went, you took along little statues and idols and all this kind of stuff with you of a lot of different types of deities. And God was saying, if you're going to do this, you've got to throw it all away. So when Abram is asked to put his land and family behind him, this request includes walking away from any territorial or patron gods. And by cutting ties with his country, his people, and his household divinities, a void is created in the religious practice of his day, only to be filled by Yahweh. In essence, God is asking Abram to walk away from everything so that he will have to place all his faith in God as the only one in his life that matters. This is just like God asking you and me to empty ourselves from anything of this world that can stand between ourselves and God for the purpose that we cling solely to him. We can turn to Luke 14, 26, for God's request to Abram apply to our lives today. If anyone comes to me and, and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't being messed up there. He's not thinking weirdly. He's just saying that you have to throw everything away. Nothing can stand between your relationship, you and God, your relationship with God. You have to be so focused, solely focused on God, that everything else just stands down. Are you to literally hate your father and your mother and your brothers and sisters? No. He's using satire. To be a reckless Christian for Christ means that there is nothing standing between you and God. 
All of your faith is to be placed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Samuel, David, and, and, and Daniel, and the God of Peter and Paul and John. This is the request of God on Abraham, and it stands just as firm as the request God is for us today. So the question is, are you willing to let go of everything and only cling to God? It's not as easy as it sounds. In Jesus 12, verse 4, we find that Abram did exactly what God desired and walked away from everything he held as a comfort. Abram recklessly stepped out and followed God. God spoke into Abram's life and Abram listened, placing his faith in God's word. And not only placing his faith in God's word, Abram also heeded God's call on his life. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, Scripture tells us. Now you may be wondering, you may be listening to all this and wondering, why in the world did he title this sermon, Running with Scissors, when I'm talking about Abram? Well, first, because that is exactly what Abram did. He ran with scissors. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. When he followed God's command on his life, he was running with scissors. He had left his family, his country, his deities, all of it behind because God called him to go. And he went. To the world, this looks as reckless and dangerous as running with scissors. But there is more to this metaphor than just looking reckless. You see, with scissors, there are two blades, right? You have the handle... And then the two blades. I almost made a cardboard thing of it, but I just didn't have time. So I could do it with my hands. But good thing we don't have a video, because that would have been rude. There are two blades to scissors with a handle. And they come together. And when they come together, it caused Abram to leave everything for God. One of the two blades being faith, and the second blade being works or action. Being a reckless Christian for Christ is having the faith in God to turn from everything else. Faith is a hard pill for our contemporary world to swallow. We are in the age of science, where science is the religious and, uh, religion and scientists are the priests. If we can't empirically, em empirically prove something exists, then there is no reason to believe it. Science has become the basis of all knowledge. What is there that this world trusts if it's not proved by science? But that's exactly the requirement of faith. If you can prove something, then there is no need for faith. Faith looks beyond the obvious, not disregarding what is seen, but knowing that there is more than what lies before our eyes. Blaise Pascal, one of my favorite uh, um, philosophers, he was a, a French mathematician, a, a physicist, an inventor, a writer, and, and a, a philosopher. And Pascal also wrote in defense of the scientific method. So it's safe to say that he truly believed in science. But that didn't stop him from realizing that there was more than what merely meets the eye. In regards to faith and science, Pascal wrote that faith certainly tells us 
but the senses do not. But not to the contrary of what they see. It is above, not against them. Basically, he says that faith does not disregard the material world, but faith tells us that there is more than merely this material world. For Pascal, science can be used to strengthen faith, not destroy it. If Abram only used his senses to determine if he was to follow God or not, then Abram surely wouldn't have stayed, would have stayed in, in Haran. He had no reason to go outside of faith. All that he saw was that what surrounded him. He saw his family. He saw his responsibilities. He saw the political landscape. And he saw the dangers that surrounded him. Through faith, Abram was able to see beyond what merely surrounded him and look ahead with hope in God's blessings. Abram didn't walk out of his own life, of his known life on a whim, but with the blade of faith, Abram walked out into the unknown. So the question is, do you possess that blade of faith? Do you have it? Is faith something that's real in your lives? Or is it just another word that we pass around? Do you believe in those things that can't be empirically proven? And that leads to the second blade of reckless Christianity for Christ. Works or actions. Our faith does not call us to sit on our bottoms and do nothing. God called Abram into action, so he acted. Abram couldn't, uh, couldn't have left, uh, could have left even if he didn't have faith, right? There are plenty of people in churches all around the world that do good works, or people that aren't even in churches that do good works that don't have faith. But the difference is, because Abram had faith in his ultimate father, Abram had to go. He didn't have the choice. His faith is what made him go. It's just like what James says in James chapter 2, verse 14 uh, through 18. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can the faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of a daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet... You do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. What I find interesting here in this passage, this is one... Y'all probably knew this, most of y'all knew this passage, but one of the, the greatest phrases and sentences in this passage is that he asked the question, can that faith save him? Without works, can your faith save you? Because don't you see, works by themselves and faith by itself mean nothing. They have to be together. That's what Jesus taught, that's what's in the Old Testament, and that's what Christianity has believed since the very beginning. They must be together. 
without faith. And there are plenty that say they have faith that don't do good works. There are many of those, both of those types within churches all over our nation. We fill our churches with programs after program, but how often do we stop and ask ourselves, are we doing these programs in faith or just doing them with the hope of reaching someone? Are we doing them because God wants us to do them or are we doing them because we think they're a good idea? Some will say, well, if we don't have the budget for it, how can we do it? Where's the faith? Some will say, how are we to do this if we don't have enough people? Where is the faith? Some will say, I don't see how this will work out. Where is the faith? Some of you will say, if there's no one to lead us, how is it going to be successful? Where is the faith? Is your faith in God or is your faith in human ability? What depth does our, today's church have? Without faith to walk out into our neighborhood and spread the gospel, giving out blankets and, and, and sweaters and, and coats and soup. And the same goes for the other side. Without works, what depth does our church have today? God calls Abram and he follows through action. Do you hear God calling you today? When God does call you out, do you just sit there, hoping that God will choose the next person down the line? How often have you picked up your tent and moved with God's guidance? How many times have you walked away from God's call rather than walking out in faith. You see, it's only when faith and works work together does God's will truly work out. Are we really adhering to God's will? C.S. Lewis hits the nail on the head when he says, Regarding the debate about faith and works, it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most important. Both blades must work in unison for a pair of scissors to be useful. But your faith and works must be unified for you to be a useful Christian. A reckless Christian for Christ combines faith and works to listen and adhere to God's call. There's one more thing that I want us to look at in this passage before we end. As Abram walked out in faith, he continued to honor God through this action. During his trip, Abram came to and spent, time, uh, spent some time in the cities of Bethel and Shechem. And we're told in verse 6 and through, uh, through 8 that Abram builds altars in both of those cities to the Lord on high. Have you ever stepped out in faith with the excitement of what God is going to do to only have that excitement dissipate and then start to, to lose a bit of that faith that calls you to work at, walk out in the first place? This happens when we begin to lose our focus on God's call on our lives and begin to look at, what the, at the world around us. Abram stopped and back 
Shechem, and Bethlehem, and built an altar to the Lord in each city for the purpose of having a continual place to worship. To worship Yahweh wherever he went. Abram didn't want to lose his faith. He didn't want to lose the momentum. So he continued reminding himself of who was in control, which continually strengthened his faith, causing him to be more willing to do the work of God's call on his life. This is the big reason why we have church every week. When we come here every week in order to offer ourselves to God in worship, our faith is strengthened. And we are moved, uh, we are more willing to do as God has called us to do. If your faith is not strengthened when you come to church, don't start pointing fingers at reasons why you're, you're not being fed. But first, ask yourself, are you offering yourself to God in worship? Because if you are only there to be fed, you're going to find it hard to be fed. But when you are there to sacrifice yourself to God in worship, you will find your faith will be abundantly strengthened. My hope is that none of us come to church for some kind of social hour or, or so, so, so we can feel good about ourselves through the week. My hope is that we have our strength strengthened through worship of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe it is true, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but I don't understand how a person cannot grow, go to church and consider themselves strong in their faith. It doesn't make sense sociologically, historically, or scripturally. Abram believed that it was so important to have a place to worship with his family, worship God with his family, that he built an altar wherever he went. Even though you may walk out in faith, showing your willingness to do God's call on your life, showing your, your, your faith in God, a reckless Christian for Christ never abandons the continual worship of God, no matter where you're at or what situation you're in. I've had people ask, well, I, I, in other church, there was... The lights were down, wrote them. Uh, it was when I was a youth, and the lights were down, wrote them. And somebody complained so much. How am I supposed to worship God if the lights are so down, uh, so dim? And the pastor said, "The same way you're supposed to worship God if you're being persecuted in a dark cell in the middle of the desert. A reckless Christian never ceases worshiping God, no matter the situation." If faith and actions are the two blades of God's scissors, then your continual worship is the hand that uses the blades to cut through the busyness of this life. To close today, I want to read a quote from the great reformer Martin Luther. Luther said in regards to, uh, regards to faith, works, and continual worship, Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for, you, for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is even asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. 
He gropes and looks around for faith and good work, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks a talk with many good works about faith and good works. A reckless Christian for Christ lives a life according to God's will. Lives one's life through God's call in faith and in action. A reckless Christian for Christ lives according to God's will through faith, action, and continuous worship. A reckless Christian for Christ abandons everything that this world can give and fearlessly steps out in faith, in action, and in worship to follow Jesus in whatever direction God desires. A reckless Christian for Christ is one who is willing to run with scissors. The scissors of faith, works, and worship. Let's pray. Lord, you have spoken to us here today. And my hope is that we have the faith to carry out what you have called us to do in our worship, in our faith, and in our actions. Though we are mere sinners, each one of us, help us through your Holy Spirit to guide us individually and as a church. Guide us through this life. God, I pray that we have grown a little more in our trust and in our faith in you today. I pray that we are walking a little closer to you in our relationship. Yet to accept your free gift of amazing grace that offers eternal life. Individually and as a body of believers as we turn our eyes upon you. May your name be glorified and your will be done. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Once more, we come before you thankful for this time.
that we're able to come and worship you. Because that's what we're here to do. It's to worship you, offering ourselves to you in worship. And Father, I ask that you bring us together as a strong faith family. That you help us love one another, have compassion for each other, lift each other up to you. God, I pray that you bless the food that we're about to eat in the King Memorial, that it nourishes us so we can serve you. And I ask for your boldness and strength to go and do as your Son has called us to do, to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach all that you have commanded. It's in your precious Son's name we pray through the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.